Good morning and welcome back to Appleosophy Weekly, your favorite tech podcast that's entirely powered by caffeine. Shout out to Nespresso. Please, please sponsor us. We're here to unwrap the tech of today. We're here with Scott Beck. He's the CTO of Abode, offering a variety of home solutions. You want to tell us a little bit about what you do at Abode? So yeah, I'm CTO at Abode. So I'm responsible for all technology at Abode, including product development. So yeah, spend my time busy working on new products in the home security space. And obviously we home kit certified for our uh, alarm systems. So work closely with Apple and everything in that home ecosystem. So yeah, can, uh, looking forward to talk about that, some of that today. This is a new camera that I'm actually working on at the moment. Excellent. So tell us a little bit about it. Uh, so actually, we just launched this camera last week. It's uh, for sale on the Bode website. can't remember. I think it's selling for less than $40. Before we begin, I want people to get to know you a little bit. We have a special segment called Get to Know the Pro. There's a series of 10 questions. It's rapid answer, so you're going to answer as quick as you can. Cool. Questions 1 through 10. Number one. Two of them have to go, iPhone, iPad, or Mac. Two of them have to go. I would say Mac and iPhone. Ooh, Mac and iPhone. We're sticking with the iPad. I love an iPad guy. Trackpad or mouse? Mouse. 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 Would you rather live without Wi-Fi for a year or have an iPad mini be the only device you're allowed to use for six months? It is a cellular model. Yeah, I could live with the iPad mini. Spotify or Apple Music? If I had to choose one, I'd say Spotify. Spotify. Great. One has to go. Twitter or Reddit? Reddit. Reddit. I hate Reddit. You hate Reddit? <laughs> we'll get into that in a moment. Aux cable or do you want to Bluetooth all the things? Bluetooth. AirPods Max. Are they an absolute win or an epic fail? I have not tried them. I hear good things about them, though. But I love... I, I'm a huge fan of these things, so I use them these all the time. But yeah. AirPods Pro. Definitely more convenient and more affordable as well. iWork or Microsoft Office? Second to the last question. Microsoft Office, just because I'm old school. Awesome. You can add one port back to the MacBook Pro. Which one is it? HDMI, Ethernet, or an SD card slot? Ethernet. Now, why would you go with that since this is our last question? Thanks for playing, by the way. Yeah, just I still use Ethernet. I have Ethernet throughout my house and I go into office environments. And yeah, I'm working with tech and connectivity. I still work with and develop Ethernet devices as well. So when it comes to testing, it's like, well, why don't I have an Ethernet port to test with? So that's something that's very important from a development perspective. You yeah, need those that, speeds. Yeah, if you're developing an Ethernet product, you have to connect. Ethernet, so um, it's not. It's something that I've always had to do, and yeah, it's one that is a pain. I don't ever, I hardly would ever use SD and HDMI. I, you know, USB C does the job. Are you living that hashtag dongle life? Yeah, there's no way of getting away from it yeah, these days. Now. You're big on HomeKit. You work with a lot of HomeKit accessories. Your company manufactures HomeKit accessories. HomePod users, this is our top story of the day, HomePod users are complaining of sudden failures with their systems that could be linked to the 
public release version or the HomeOS 15 beta update as well. Now, where do we get this information? None other than Scott's least favorite platform, Reddit. (laughs) (laughs) So if we take a look at Reddit, now what's really cool about this is Mac Rumors sort of put together an article covering all the nonsense that's been going on with HomePods. Now, just within the last seven days, there's been six or seven reports of this. Uh, Reddit user understanding number five, six, you know, Reddit usernames are all crazy. He's running, we'll just call him Josh. Josh is running the HomePod 15 OS beta. And he's saying he was, he noticed some heat on the top of his HomePod. Looks like it could be overheating a bit. And he's saying, this looks like a logic board issue. We heard reports about this earlier this week about HomePods overheating, possibly a logic board failure. And we thought this was exclusive to people just testing out the HomePod OS 15 beta, which won't be available as a public release until later this year. Do you have experience messing around with pre-release HomePod OS betas? I hear Apple Um, will give those to you if you're developing HomeKit accessories. Yeah, not I have, but I'm not using the latest ones at the moment. So I have in the past. It doesn't surprise. I mean, the type of changes that are going on, it doesn't surprise me that it could have that type of an effect. And we, <clears throat> without speaking specifically about that beta, we run betas all the time, and it can you can, and this is the risk of running betas. You can affect hardware, so. It wouldn't surprise me if that's the case. I'm sure Apple will move on it quickly and there'll be another release if it's the case. Another HomePod running 14.6 broke. It doesn't power on, according to the user. This occurred just yesterday. He said his HomePod suddenly stopped working, doesn't turn on. The volume buttons are now flickering. And keep in mind, the OG HomePod Biggie, not HomePod Mini, has on display volume buttons. So the, those aren't integrated. They're not just printed on top. They're on screen. And he's saying those are flickering. He thinks there's something going on with the diodes. That's all he said. Diodes. I think that's his way of trying to sound smart. Something going on with the diode. It must be the diodes. Is, is that a common answer in, in home kit technology? Not one that I've heard. Not one that I've heard. But, you know, you know, on that Reddit thing. There's all the thing. The thing with Reddit is everyone's trying to. It's all about that kudos, right? Everyone wants those upvotes, so everyone's trying. It's to about karma. Up. So that's what I want to ask you: Is that your aversion to Reddit? You think it's a bit of a a clout chasing platform? Yeah, exactly. Like the kids are calling it exactly. Yeah, and so I'm all. You know, it, it's always a everyone's on a wild goose chase and trying to. Yeah. You know, I found it's always. Information is always taken to the extreme because everyone wants to be an extremist. It's just, that's my experience with it. And as a vendor, when you're on the other end of that, like the Apple people looking at that thread today, if there's Apple people looking at it, <clears throat> they'll be taking it with a grain of salt because of that. And so, I mean, I'm sure they're taking it seriously, but yeah, that's my experience there. The, the key takeaway here is with the HomePod OS or HomePod 15 update, is what they're dumbing it because this does not have official an official name. It's sort of something that the consumer does never sees. It kind of runs in the background, updates itself. It's a whole auto update thing. So we're just calling it uh, HomePod 15 or HomePod OS 15. It's beta software, right? So it's pre-release software. The takeaway here is this isn't meant for the lay 
beta tester, the lay person that's that's wanting to try out new features. This the copy of this beta, the profile to install it that enables you to install it is usually given to vendors yeah. like abode, correct? And what's happening is cons- consumers are getting their hands on these betas, running them on their personal hardware. And I mean, if something happens, there, it's not like you can take it to Apple. As soon as you upgrade to pre-release software or beta, it's, it's out of warranty. So people m- might be out of their home pods just because they wanted to test out new features. Yeah, absolutely. And that's the risk. That's the real risk of running bees. I've, I've had it happen with my, with the, with an Apple uh, watch before where, you know, couldn't be recovered. So that's the real risk. It's cool trying out the new features, but when you're living on the edge, sometimes things go wrong. It sounds like that's what's happening here. But, yeah, as I said, you know, I know that Apple would know about this, find out about this really quickly, and I'm sure they'll come out with a release. But, yeah, anyone listening, I wouldn't go near that beta at the moment. So take us through, what is it like bringing a HomePod or a HomeKit accessory to market? You touched on it earlier, you know, you, you see the huge difference in the ecosystems between Alexa or Google Assistant and uh, HomeKit. The main, the big difference with HomeKit is the certification process is very detailed. So it's lengthy, you know, some, sometimes I wonder, say, take the Google certification process we, you send off the equipment and you fill out all the sheet and, and it comes back certified. Sometimes I wonder if anyone even looked at this thing. With HomeKit, it's extremely detailed. You know, you're, going, you're running detailed network tests. And if any of those things go wrong, you, it has to be addressed. So it can be, you know, I don't know what the average time is for a HomeKit certification, the HomeKit certification process. My, you know, three, six months, 12 months could, you know, can, can be a long process. And I, I'm sure some people find it so difficult that they give up and it, it never goes through. So if you see some companies may honestly go to market and say, we're going to HomeKit certify something and it never eventuates, you know, it's not yes, that they I've would. Seen that all- it's, yeah, it's not that I would, and I'm not that company, but I would assume that's because they fully intended on doing that but they found out through trying that it's actually difficult and realised that they, it's not worth the resources that they have to do to go through it. So, so yeah, getting into the specifics, it's really very, you know, very detailed. Apple cross all the I's and dot all the T's and you have to, yeah, you have to um, do it to their standard and there's no, no way around that. And, look, I really respect the reason why they do that it's the Apple way, right? You know, they want to make the Apple difference. They want to guarantee that end. it's all about the end user experience. So the risk you have with a Google Assistant or Alexa, and this is why the HomeKit ecosystem is better, is that everyone has to go through that. And so from a privacy and from a security and an operational perspective, you know if you see that HomeKit certification. I like that you that, make that point because things like privacy and security are major pillars for Apple benchmarks that they want to make sure if, if we're going to endorse this, if we're going to certify this, it, it has to be secure. It has to, it, it, there has to be a certain level of convenience that you can associate that, with this product because it has that home kit certification on it. 
Yeah, and I can say understanding all those technologies, I can say that is the case with HomeKit. It is absolutely. And I know you probably, you know, I don't want to divert the topic onto matter and what's going on there, but, you know, a lot of that technology from HomeKit has been poured in, open sourced and poured into, in, into what that's become because the way that other companies were doing it were not as good. But there's other, other things to talk about there that I can talk about. Don't want to change topic on you. That's actually a perfect segue, Scott, because our next topic is about Matter, this new Matter protocol. Apple talked a little bit about it at its event just a month ago at WWDC. They talked about all Apple accessories working with the new Matter protocol and that it's very robust, but they never they didn't offer any further insight or details on what Matter is. What is Matter and what does it enable for the average consumer when it comes to HomeKit devices? Yeah, so look, I think it's before talking about the specifics there, I think it's important to talk about what the objective of matter is. And the object that one of the big frustrations at the moment is if you go to uh, you go to an electronic store and you buy a door sensor or a, a, a temperature monitor and you you say you you know does, is that going to work with my home ecosystem and you if you have HomeKit you look for the HomeKit badge and you know that it's going to work but it's confusing because some people might have Google some people might have Alexa so the goal of Matter is if we all follow the same Matter protocol in theory you should be able to buy any of these accessories off the shelf and it should work with Alexa as easy as it works with Google as as easy as it works with Apple HomeKit. That's the theory. How that plays out, we're all gonna we're all gonna find out. But what matter is because Apple would develop. Apple were quite advanced. HomeKit's great. Mm-hmm. Alexa's developing their own protocols. Google's developing their own protocols, and they're all so vastly different. So from a vendor perspective, it's like we need to support Apple. We need to support Google. We need to support Alexa. You've got to implement all these different protocols. With Matter, you only have to imp- got. With Matter, you only have to implement Matter and then you, you, you can support all, all, all three. However, it's going to be really interesting how it plays out because we just talked about the big differences between on the certification side of things. Matter does not, matter does not certify these things. So there's still going to it's be... It's just a protocol. That's right. So there's still going to be huge differences on a certification perspective. It's not going to change, you know, so you're not going to instantly see... 10,000 new devices in the Apple HomeKit ecosystem. Apple is still going to want to have their certification process. It just changes the protocol layer. So when Apple say all Apple devices, you know, we can now support the Matter protocol, that's great and that's a futuristic, future-proofing thing, but it's not going to change anything for anyone anytime soon in the Apple HomeKit ecosystem. And and that's the important takeaway is... You know, how do you communicate, how do you articulate what this means to the average consumer that has these devices in these home in, in their home from competing companies? You know, a lot of us have Apple, Amazon, and Google home devices, and they don't really play nice with each other. And so th- this is sort of an alliance, a protocol, an agreement between all these companies to say, hey, we're going to make sure that all these things integrate with each other, that they can talk to each other. Yeah. I think the for the average consumer, I think the message is 
in the future, it's going to be easier. You're going to see devices that work across ecosystem more often because at the moment for the vendor, it's very difficult. At the moment for a boat, it's very difficult to support all three. Matter will make it easier because it's the one protocol. Then we just have to go through the certification separately. Um, so as Apple demonstrated, you know, you could have a world where your HomePod can, in fact, interact with your Ring doorbell or your thermostat, your smart thermostat, even if it's not HomeKit certified. Well, I don't know about that. I'm not sure how that's going to play out. Because yeah. there's different intricacies yeah, behind we, all and that. There's difference, and, and there's difference in, you know, their cooperation, as I call it. You know, they're co cooperating, but there's still competition, you know. So there's every reason that Ring are not going to support Apple or Amazon ain't going to play nice with Google. And, but, you know, we see that in all the areas of business that they, they do together. So that's, and, I think, and that's the important takeaway is both of these companies, and, and we're talking about Amazon and Apple right now specifically, they thrive on ecosystems. The, the main reason why these two companies are successful is because Amazon only works with Ring or only works with Eero. And you have, you know, Apple that only works with iMessage, you know, they all have their own yeah. proprietary iMessage isn't a home app, but it's just an example to of, of how these companies lock you into their ecosystem and they yeah. only work with their own software. So I think it's I think it's great that this technology has been shared. The HomeKit technology has been shared and those that you know because it is it is the most secure and they do a lot of things right. And I think it's easy to get everyone to agree and form this matter alliance around the protocol layer. But when it comes to the supporting, you know, the ultimate goal of buying a device for a consumer to go to a shop, buy a device off a shelf, not have to worry about what ecosystem and go home and plug it and switch it. I mean, I think it'll make that easier. But to your point, you know, these companies all like their own ecosystems and continue to support their own ecosystems. So I don't think you'll ever see everything working with all ecosystems. I think it's an ultimate goal and I think you'll see more of it. And I think the Matter Protocol enables that. And I think it's great for company, you know, for us, it's awesome. Uh, and it's a step in the right direction. And yeah, we'll see how it evolves. You know, it's a long-term thing as well. It's only just, you know, we'll see the first really Matter come to market sort of towards the end of this year. And so that's very, you know, that's still very early at the moment. We're supporting it which they have to first, and then we'll see what, see what comes. You know, you look at things like a bone and, and one of the major selling points and reasons why users love a bone is because it, it, it does create a unique and intuitive way for users to access most, if not all of their home devices in one unified space. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, that's why we were keen to support HomeKit because, you know, I'm a big Apple user and, you know, I'd, I've got a lock on my door and, you know, it's if I'm coming home and I want to unlock the door, I, I'll do that from my watch, you know, and I'll do that. Or, you know, in the latest, uh, in iOS 15, I think they've even moved the, made it even easier from the control drop down to, to access that fav favorite device. So being able to integrate directly into IO operating system makes a big difference. A boat has a great iOS. You know, we we 
<clears throat> always, excuse me, always making use of the latest uh, iOS technology. But that's not HomeKit. You know, HomeKit's even further integrated. So, well, in many ways, the Abode app serves as base camp for all of your smart home devices. Yeah. So, yeah. If anyone hasn't tried, it works great on on iOS uh, on iPad as well. One of the things that I've been testing uh, with the Abode app lately is uh, it works really well on on an M1 M1 chip on the yeah just straight as an app on the, and so we we're actually on you know can share you know we we're thinking you know do I release that to the do we release that to the app store and let people download it and run it from their Macs if they've got M1 so that's that's uh, very cool when you think about late last year with the release of M1, you know, the first computers with Apple Silicon, Apple was at that point saying, we're allowing developers to run or to make their iPad apps available on the App Store for Mac users. It's their decision. So you can test it out internally, see how your iPad app is working on an Apple Silicon computer. Right now we have the MacBook Pro, MacBook Air, and the iMac. Those are the only three Apple Silicon Macs out currently. So uh, developers can test their apps, their iPad apps on the Mac, see how they're working. And if they're confident enough in these, they can, you know, they can make some touch-ups with Catalyst and such, but then they can bring these apps to market. And what's really cool is you're running, if you don't touch anything, if you're just shipping the iPad app, that's a native Apple Silicon app running on the Mac, which is really yeah. cool. And, and it works, it, like it works really working. well, you know, this it works really well. And to your point, you know, uh, I was using it for a while and there was a few things we had to touch up, but, you know, we could release that now. And there wasn't, we didn't really have to go and do any extra development. So I think, I think you're going to see a lot more of that as companies. You know, there's no reason why um, Netflix or these companies with their, you know, with great iPad apps can't release them to, to the app store. So be interesting to see where that goes. I'm sure we'll release ours on the App Store soon. Now, our next story, President Joe Biden, U.S. President Joe Biden, plans to direct the U.S. Federal Trade Commission, the FTC, to draft new rules aimed at bolstering consumers' ability to repair their own devices. So this is a right to repair thing. Now, where do you stand on the right to repair before we get into meat and potatoes? I think it's cool in concept. I think, um, you know, I think Apple does it better <laughs> anyway. Like I think it, Apple has the end user experience and the consumer at heart and in mind when they create these devices. And I think it's the rare few that would be better served being able to repair their own, you know, arrange it and repair their own devices. So, you know, I understand the concept, but I think, as long as it's done correctly, you know, which I said, I think Apple do a, a great job in this space. I think it's, I think it's fine. Now the FTC is ultimately going to decide the, the scope of this presidential directive, but it is expected to mention smartphones, specifically the iPhone in the report. Now, I love that you mentioned the infrastructure that would need to be in place to make something like right to repair chiefly with Apple products viable, that is to say worth it. I mean, these are, these repairs are becoming more and more complex. You know, the iFixit guides are becoming more and more extensive 
on how to repair things like an iPhone. Well, why? Because Apple has a fanatical obsession with miniaturization, making the device thinner every year. Apple's using less screws and more adhesives. That is to say, if you take it apart once, it's never going to be, it's never going to work again because you're breaking water seals. You know, you're removing the, the dust and water resistance just by taking these things apart. And there needs to be consumer knowledge, consumer awareness on what could happen. Is Apple going still going to allow you to keep the warranty on something that you're going to take apart? In theory, and, and then looking into this and reviewing it and making sure things are defined correctly is the right thing to do. I don't think Apple have too much to worry about, really. You know, I think they're doing things well. Maybe they have to change a few policies, but... Mm-hmm. To, to that specific question, and I think if you pull things apart and break seals, no way do they have to warranty that. Yeah. That's, you know, it's just not possible. I mean, I see it pretty black and white. I'm, not, I'm coming from mainly from the vendor side, you know, from a person that's responsible for creating devices and dealing with warranty policies and claims. I think even with the technology as it stands now, it's not sustainable if they had to do that let alone where it's uh, to your point where it's going in the future with even more miniaturization and 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 things um, that are very difficult to take apart and put back together you know this year i purchased an m1 ipad pro and and this article got me thinking about that because one of the one of the main reasons why i decided to purchase the m1 ipad pro was because i was coming from the 2018 ipad pro which from a performance standpoint was fine. It could support everything I needed to do with it, photo editing, all that stuff. But the reason why I went for M1, I love the improvements this year, improvements to the screen, the power, all that future-proofing. Yep. But the main reason, the one nail in the coffin that made me do this was my battery health on my 2018 model was going out. And I figured if I trade it in, it's worth it to get the M1. It's only a couple hundred and I got the newest iPad with a brand new battery. I, you know, I wonder if it were really super easy to replace the battery on my own, would I have just done that instead of purchasing a new iPad altogether? I think those are the kind of things that Apple worries about. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. But it's not easy to replace that battery, is it? No. In A lot of people are saying by the time your battery health reaches a point where it's no longer usable it's likely out of warranty anyways which mine yeah, was it's so. like it's likely that you know the way it's likely that the cpu upgrades have been mm. so significant or the screen it's likely that it's a five-year-old device i mean how long do these devices need to last for some people might think longer but i think three years is a good life cycle out of these mm-hmm. things i had an imac that lasted 10 years which was absolutely amazing but, you know, I think that's an exception. But one has to ask, importantly, yes, that new screen is nice. Yes, that performance is nice. It's faster and more efficient than what I'm using now. But the, the what ultimately made me decide was because I thought, well, the battery health on this one isn't doing so well. I might as well get the new features and a new battery. And I'm sure a lot of people are making that decision to just buy a new iPhone or iPad or MacBook, whatever it may be, because it is so much more difficult now to perform your own repairs. The repairs themselves, True. certified Apple repairs, cost an arm and a leg. 
Yeah, true. And you could say Apple are being mischievous and they just want people to buy new products. And I'm sure as part of that. Imagine if iPhones had batteries like, you know, old cell phones like we had back in the day, like a razor where you can just pop it out and throw a new one in. I'd still buy a new iPhone. I, th- I still think there's enough reason to. to I would to too. I, I don't think the batteries the, the be all and all. I see people in in my family still running or trying to use iPhone sevens, and it's like, oh man, you know, I don't even know how you look at that thing, just how slow and clunky it is. But yeah, I guess some people some people like to make make it work and make it last. Yeah, as I said, the theory, I think the theory and reviewing the policies and making sure it's been done correctly, I think it's right. But are they going to force Apple to take an iPhone and change the design completely so that you can replace? Yeah, I just can't see that, can't see that happening. All very interesting stuff. It's time for this week's special segment. This week in What the Tech. We have a, f- a funny story for you this week. Now, rapper Soja Boy. He's claiming that Steve Jobs dropped in on his music video shoot for Crank That back in the year 2007 and handed him the first iPhone. He's saying, it's me. I was the first rapper with a new iPhone. And the guys over at Cult of Mac took a good hard look at this and they pinpointed all the dates. And long story short, they determined he's likely lying. If you pinpoint the dates, this music video was filmed a whole two weeks after the iPhone came out. So it's not very likely that he was the first rapper uh, to have an iPhone. Probably wasn't even among the first people to own one, given the amount of people that were staying in line just for launch day. He received one two weeks after, if you line up the dates, that's when that music video was filmed. He's saying that Steve Jobs was on set to hand it to him personally. Kind of wild story, huh? I mean, I'm sure, the, I'm sure there's some truth to it, right? I'm you know, not sure it, which it's, part. it's not out of the question. I mean, back in the day, Apple, Apple was targeting artists, you know, giving them, they wanted people to be seen with the products. They were giving musical artists, you know, access to the iPad very early, handing them hardware just so they could be seen. Yeah. And I can understand why I would want to be known as the person uh, that had the first iPhone. It's pretty, pretty awesome. Cult of Mac actually reached out to the video director, Dale Restigan of the project. And he said, quote, I can confirm that Apple reps were on set. So he's the director of this movie video. He said, I don't know how long they were on set. However, I do clearly recall being informed that Soldier Boy was going to be 30 minutes late to the final setup of the day, which was the master performance in the gymnasium due to a business meeting. End quote. Look at that. Kind of interesting. We'll never know, but that's this week in What the Tech. Scott, I know this is a shorter episode. We're still dealing with one of the biggest Apple news droughts we've ever seen here in the rumor mill, uh, but I loved it. I just want to thank you for coming on and, and joining us, providing no your insight. I'm happy to join. It's been... Yeah. And let us know where the people can find you on social media. Maybe it's Twitter that you use the most. Yeah. Twitter, just uh, Scott Beck. Just at Scott Beck, S-C-O-T-B-E-C-K. Kind of like mine. Yeah, I was on, I must have been on the platform pretty early. I wasn't, but I was able to snag at Brom Shank. It's just my name. That's B-R-A-H-M-S-H-A-N-K. Pop over onto Twitter. Come say hi. And we, 
ask us questions, send in questions for the show. You guys have any random tech questions, we'll answer them right here on the show. Scott, thank you for joining us.